This is Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that focuses on finding the Savior in the Old Testament, and then how we might teach it in family or ward settings. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is joining me to make sure that we stay on the rails. We are recording the podcast from the Student Lounge at the Pocatello Institute, so thanks for joining us for our lunchtime discussion of this week's Come Follow Me Scripture Block. Welcome back for another week of Come Follow Me. Uh, this week we're hitting Hosea. Or Joel. and Joel. Yep. Uh, um, and uh, make sure to vote. Oh, that's right. It's election day. Election day. I've got to drive all the way to Blackfoot to vote. Oh. I should have mailed it in. Then I probably should have <laughs> mailed it in. Um, so uh, this week, I heard one. I heard one come follow me person say that I was listening to, it, and I and it really resonated with me. He said, for anyone who talks about the Old Testament Jehovah being this uh, vicious, vengeful, angry God, the answer is Hosea. Hmm. Like, there, we've seen it all over. We've seen the mercy of God throughout Isaiah and Jeremiah. And, and, but those, those, the mercy is usually in the promises that he gives because so often the prophets we're hearing are in times of wickedness. Yeah. And so the mercy is usually this... This is what you're going to get in the future. Yeah. Um, the book of Hosea, if you had to pick one example of kind of the mercy of God and why the mercy of God is so infinite and knows no depths, it's the it's the mission of it's the mission call of Hosea the yeah. prophet. Well, and and just even along those same lines that we uh, Elder Bednar said it a lot better than this, but you pretty much determine what's said in conference, you and I. Yeah. And based on what we need and what we're going through and the choices we're making and the other things that are happening in the world that we determine it. So why is it that it seems like all these other prophets are, you know, getting after the people? Well, the people were really bad. You yeah. put it in the historical context of, of Israel and Judah, and there was a lot of a lot of problems that they were going through and a lot of, uh, you know, mistakes that they were making and, and uh, willingly walking away from the Lord. And so it's like, all right, this is the message you need then. If you want one that's on the other side of that, well, be good. Yeah. Yeah, you, like Jacob in the Book of Mormon when he says, I wish that I could come up here and tell you all the I'd like to change things. my topic. Boy, I wish I could speak <laughs> about something else. And instead, I've got to come and talk to you about adultery. And, yep. um, the, so context for this, this is where I think the Old Testament storyline gets a little confusing. Because all of it, you know, we've we've followed a pretty steady timeline so far, fairly. Yeah. Um, and now all of a sudden, when you get to the minor prophets, all of a sudden, I mean, we've gone through the northern destruction uh, or the destruction of the northern kingdom, 700, and then you get mm-hmm. to Jeremiah and the destruction of the southern kingdom or Judah, 600, and then you get kind of these branch off stories with Daniel and Ezekiel and. And now all of a sudden we're and, jumping yeah. back a hundred years, yeah. uh, you know, a hundred hundred plus years. To, to deal with some of these these minor prophets. So Hosea is a prophet up in the northern kingdom. Verse 1, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he's he's a contemporary with Isaiah. Mm-hmm. But instead of down in Judah, Hosea is teaching up in north. Up north. Yeah. And and you going back to Isaiah, you, you've got two descriptions of Israel and north. And the description of Israel is an adulteress. And the description of uh, Jerusalem or the Southern Kingdom is your backsliders. Yeah. Those are the two choices that you have if you're a Who member of the church in those days. So, yeah, this I, 
the one thing that I'm fascinated about with this, and and I thought a lot about this this weekend, uh, in prepping for this, and also with things going on in our own lives that. I think sometimes we have a tendency to get so caught up in mortality, like, this is the only mortality I've got, and it's got to be perfect. And you see that a lot in, in this effort today to get rid of anything uncomfortable in mortality. And sometimes this idea that if I'm not comfortable, then God's not doing his job. Why is like This is the only mortality I get, and it should be, like, no worries, no hassles, no... And then you get Hosea, and you get this mission call. And, you know, verse 2, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said unto Hosea, go and take unto thee a wife. If it stops there, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. But Hosea's mission call is, is unique in the sense that the Lord, the Lord is going to use Hosea as, as a talking point. Like, he is going to get the people talking about him and about the kind of wife he took. Uh, I want you to marry a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land have committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So, Hosea, everyone knows you're a prophet. You've been teaching it. You've been teaching family and, and everything else. And now I want you to go marry somebody that's, that's promiscuous or maybe even potentially has been a prostitute. Mm -hmm. And this phrase in here, and children of whoredoms, makes you wonder... Like, Verse three, it starts, and he went and took Gomer the daughter, which she conceived, uh, which conceived and bare him a son. Well, it's easy to assume that the son is Hosea's, but that uh, that little comment in two to take upon you children of whoredoms suggests that maybe these next three children that he's that, that they're going to have, maybe they might not be his. There's the potential because of her lifestyle and because of everything we're going to learn about her in in chapter two. There's the possibility that that Hosea has simply been asked to go and bear I, what I, to me, would be one of the most demoralizing, humiliating uh, marital situations, especially because you know he's been teaching chastity and repentance and everything else. And and so I guess one of the things that I've had in one of the conversations, one of the questions I would ask is, why would the Lord? What what's the purpose of the Lord? What what's his what's his game plan here in Knowing that in a small religious community like northern Israel, here's a prophet who's been teaching the ideals, have him go marry someone that everyone knows is, if not a prostitute, promiscuous and sleeps around. And, and everybody's going to know the possibility or at least question whether these kids are Hosea's. Why do that? What do you think? I, I think a, a huge part of this is, uh, and a lot of the Lord's analogies, and, and I just had this thought as, as you know, as you were talking that, this is almost like the Lord's uh, kind of like a parable yeah. where he's like, okay, you have to get the full story. You have to finish the parable before you can then like really dig into it. And before you can say, could be this and it could be this and it could be this. And um, some, some people read this and they're like, this is a very literal thing. And other people are like, maybe this is a symbolic thing that the Lord is like, I'm going to teach you this and teach you this. In, in whatever case, the idea behind anything that the Lord is asking these prophets to do is going to be foreshadowing what the Lord is actually, what he has actually done and what he is willing to do will during do. his mortal ministry. And and that's the that's the beautiful part about all prophets. You know, just uh, in, a, in a little bit, we're going to talk about Jonah, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks. And that was like one of the lessons. They're like, give us a sign when Jesus is given his mortal ministry. And he's like, all right, Jonah. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I don't 
This is an issue. I don't, I don't get it. Like, what, what's the point of this? And, and that's the wife of the prophets are teaching about Jesus. And I really think Hosea is one of these awesome examples of that, where it's like the life of Hosea is teaching you about Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, you're not two chapters into this story before you're like, oh, Hosea is Jesus Christ and Gomer is Israel. Yep. And, and it even gives you that, uh, um, take a, a while in verse, uh, verse two, right at the end, you had already read it for the land that committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. He says, this is the reason I want you to marry Gomer because this is what the people have done. So I'm trying to make this connection for you. And, and you're talking about that comfortableness in life and stuff. And I would, you know, as a part of this teaching, why does God ask us to do hard things? And in your life, or you could, if you want to just relate it more to prophets, what are other hard things that he's asked prophets to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, Nephi, building boats and, and uh, having to kill Laban and, you know, crossing the ocean. Like, why? Why is it that God is making these prophets do hard things? Why is President Watson having to be a bishop at 22? Why, 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 why? All of these things. And then you realize, like, well, this teaches you more about the Lord. Yeah. And I, and I think you can step this up. Brigham Young talks about I would that all everybody was a prophet. I wish everyone were prophets, and and you get this idea that so it's not just the prophets whose lives are supposed to be symbolic. And, and when we're asked to go through hard things, it's a worthwhile question to step back and say, in what way is this a type? In what way am I a type and shadow of Christ? Yeah. In, in what's this? We we've got this we've got this major stress hanging on us right now. So we're building this house in Shelley, and I have all of the sheetrock for the house sitting outside on the concrete. Um, By the way, it snowed a lot lately. It snowed like four <laughs> inches, and it's not a light that like light dry snow. It's the wet. It's that wet, heavy, nasty snow, and I've been super panicked about getting this covered. And 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 so last night, as I was standing on top of sheetrock that already had kind of cheap tarps on it, you know, as good as I could get at the time, and um, called around, and I found somebody that said, "Hey, you need these industrial type tarps from Cal Ranch," and so I ran and got them, and I got them out there, and I'm. I'm brushing off the water and I'm doing everything to get the water off because I know that if it sits there, it's going to eventually seep through. And I just started having these thoughts about, you know, what am I doing to, you know, the the ceilings? And I'm trying to seal this, I'm trying to seal these bunks of sheetrock to keep the weather out. And, And I just kind of had these thoughts like, what am I doing to seal my family? What am I doing to keep the world out of my family? Like, what are the tarps? that I'm putting over my family. And, and last night I'm, I'm rolling the tarps in two, with two by four. So I've got a two by four in there, I'm rolling it. And I figured out if you roll it from the inside so that the water goes straight off instead yeah. of getting caught. Yeah. Like I'm putting some serious time and effort <laughs> into this and I'm, and I'm drilling them in. I've got some sheeting in place and, and I realized I've spent, I've spent a good chunk of money trying to, trying to preserve this. And, and, and it was kind of this interesting experience having been thinking about Jose already and then knowing that I was going to bring this up, all of a sudden the thought came to me, like, what is this? How is this a type of, of the gospel? Where does, it, where does it fit? And the more we do that, all of a sudden our sacrifices, just like the prophet's sacrifices and the way the prophets live, the way we live, all of those things point us to Christ. Yeah. And, and it, I really believe that when we're in the middle of those struggles, it... It makes the struggles easier when we see the when we see the Savior in them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of, one of the things, just recognizing that you have to you have to take those moments in your life, and and those are valuable moments when you say, "How do I see Christ here?" And it, you get this story that you get the full brunt of it, and then you're like, "Okay, how do you see the Savior?" 
And, and if you can start with that in mind, mm -hmm. like, how am I seeing that? How am I seeing that? Then it, it, it makes a difference for you. That, you know, with your sheetrock, you're having a spiritual experience in a regular part of life. Mm -hmm. And I really think that God loves those types of things, Brian, that he just is saying to us, like, I, I want you to feel the spirit in your work yep. with your families and then in every other part of your life. I, you and I both love being outdoors. I think there's a there's a connection oh, yeah. to God and his creations out there. Sure. But there's moments when you're just like, I love God even more because of what he's given to me here. And and you just understand that. And I really think even at the end of this, you read this story about Hosea. And I guarantee from Hosea's perspective, he loves the Lord even more because of his marital situation. Yeah. That he recognizes this is exactly who the Lord is for me. We asked some of the students at the beginning today that what are false ideas? that Satan mm -hmm. tries to get us to believe. The question, Lauren, is this, that uh, what are some lies or false beliefs that Satan tries to get us to believe? I uh, tries to get us to believe we're not good enough. That sex before marriage is okay. It's promoted a lot in TV shows and culture, and it's seen as like something weird to do nowadays if you don't have sex before marriage, so. Um, that a lot of the my body, my choice type things where um, people can define their own truth and it doesn't matter like what other people's morality is and stuff like that. So that you have no inclination to do good. Um, that we are not enough and that we can't ever conquer the trials that we're going through. I would have to say that he tries to get us to believe that we're in this by ourselves. So that we are alone in this world and that there's nobody there to to really help us. And uh, some of them they popped up or you're not good enough and once you've messed up like you have this huge from one end it's like sin isn't a big deal and then as soon as you sin it seems to get the other end it's like don't repent god doesn't even like you anymore yep and you're just like boy that flew fast like okay, how did yeah, we talk about that escalating end? quickly right yes. like you go from hey everybody's doing this to yes. nobody's done it as bad as you yeah you're the, you're bad don't even you're the worst yep and and so and then you have other things in between where god's just trying or uh where satan's trying to get you to not trust god anymore and, and one of those, I think that Hosea, that, to point out, is that um, uh, Elder Uchtdorf told the story in 2007 about airplanes. You probably don't oh, remember that. Right. He's, he's talked about airplanes before. Only I'm the sure. two couple Just times. I don't remember those two stories. Which one was it? <laughs> it's the one where he mentions the point of no return. Yep. And he says uh, some, some long flights are 9,000 miles in 14 hours. And he says you reach a point on the flight. It's not called the point of no return, but it's called the point of safe return. And he said sometimes people call it the point of no return. But that moment is when you can no longer go back to the airport that you departed from based on your fuel based situation. On fuel. And he said Satan would get you to believe that you reached a point in your life where there's no return. And that's that's the beautiful part about Hosea. Yeah. Is that there is Cause a point of returning. And you would think about it. We know that in these communities. You're good, Nikhil. Hey. Welcome to the internet. Hey, Nikhil. <laughs> hey, Nikhil, just so you know, we'll pause just for a second. But tonight there's a choir performance yes so no pickleball tonight yes we spread the world for word yes. for us i will you're the best okay sure. thank you all right back to our schedule our uh, previously scheduled program um where were we uh B -b -b point, point of no return. return yeah um things that she's done you'll get it just a second chapter two you keep going all yeah. right um, in uh, in chapter two verse five it says for their mother hath played the harlot. So by the way they have they have some children they all have symbolic names. Yeah, all um, three. Some of them they give you right in the footnotes. The hardest one to dig into and and this is maybe out of the pay grade a little bit 
But in chapter four, uh, chapter one, verse four, I really dug in to figure out what Jezreel means. Jezreel. And it was complicated. And so I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. But uh, anyways, you'd have to dig into it yourself. This infers, so Jezreel is a, is a valley that a guy named Jehu killed a whole bunch of Ahab's uh, children, posterity. Ahab was the ki- uh, one of the kings of Israel, and he kills him, uh, a bunch of his posterity, and then puts Jeroboam II on the throne, okay? So this is inferring that Assyria is soon going to scatter Israel. That's basically the short end of it, and it's because of this. Uh, Jezreel is the valley where Jehu, the guy who killed the offspring of Ahab and set up Jeroboam for the throne, did all of his murdering. Thus, this shows that the avenging of the blood of Jezreel and the upcoming fall of Jehu and his descendants, which is Jeroboam, which is one of the kings of Israel at this time. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's saying, like, I'm calling you Jezreel because justice is coming for Jehu and his posterity. Jeroboam, that's you. Yep. So as he's naming his kid this, it is really the prophet saying, I'm calling out the king, which is a dangerous thing for him. Yeah. Uh, and then the other names are, are deeply symbolic in here as well, and, and they're down in the footnotes, and they all mean something like Isaiah's kids. So mm-hmm. um, in, in chapter 2, I, verse 5, go ahead. I've wondered what Hosea thought when the Lord named him. Verse 6, Loruhama. And this idea that not obtain, not having obtained mercy. In other words, this idea that, look, it, there's no mercy. You've, you've reached this point. It's the Abinadi prophecy, or principle, right? I've warned and I've warned and I've warned, and now a series coming. There's no mercy. And Hosea's probably going, ah. Uh, nobody wants to name their kid this. Yeah. You know, this sweet little girl named No Mercy. Yep. No Mercy for you. Um, and then the little guy is named? Uh, in verse 9. nine um Loami, and this is no... Not my people. Not my people. So low is no. Mm-hmm. And so you've got... No mercy. Justice, justice coming. Mm-hmm. No mercy. There's no mercy. And now you're not my people anymore. And why? Because you're going to be scattered. Yeah. You're now going to be scattered amongst the wind. And, and most of you will forget your will even will forget your connection to Jehovah. Yeah. And you won't be my people anymore because you've broken the covenant. You will be the lost tribes. Yep. And, and so that, that idea that this is the reason why, the reason that we're the ones who shut off the mercy, that's the beautiful part yeah. of the story, is that it's only up to us. And, and the thing is, uh, well, we'll get into it in chapter yeah. 2, but uh, in verse 5, it says, She, she hath conceived them, hath done sh- shamefully. She hath said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. That Gomer is saying that my lovers are the ones who have, who have taken care taken of me all care of my me. life. It hasn't been you. And and Hosea is the one who she was she was a woman of whoredoms before they got married. Mm-hmm. She's a woman of whoredoms during their marriage. And he knows what he's getting into. She doesn't quit and change instantly. Uh-huh. And and when she's saying like everybody else has given me all of these things and it just it just begs that question that sometimes we go to the world and we say, What has the world given to me? Or uh, I, I always am like, I'm thankful the world did this and the world did this and the world did this. And it's because I got my education. It's because I worked hard that I got this job. It's because I, it's, it's me. And it's so interesting that. Remember the, the, the Snoop Dogg talk? And last of all, I want to thank me. I want to thank, yeah. and I think sometimes our lovers are ourselves. Yes. We, 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 we give, the give credit ourselves to us. the credit to yes. us. Yeah. Yeah. We've done this. It's the pronoun problem that Moses has mm-hmm. when he includes himself. 
in the, the Lord says, do we have to brakes. do this for you? And the yes. Lord's going, we? Like you tapped a rock with a <laughs> stick. What did you do? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's so sad that people kind of get into this, uh, this mindset a little bit where when everything good happens, it's because of them. And when bad things happen, they blame God. Mm-hmm. And they're like, where was God in this? And where was God in this? And where yep. was God in this? And you're like, well, it's a two-way street then. If you want to blame God for this thing, then you have to give God the credit for the great things that have happened to you in your life. He's not just always going to take the fall for all of these things. And so in verses 6 to 13, I don't know if there's any parts of those you want to highlight, but he's really just saying, like, I'm going to do all of these things to bring her back, to give her the mercy, because mercy's gone. This is how she's going to get it. And it's it's such a unique way of looking into this story that we think, well, God just shuts off his mercy because he's mad. And he's like, but I'm going to do all these things so well, you'll still find so you it. Get it back. Yes. Well, and I love, at verse 8, she did not know that I gave her corn and yeah. wine and oil. He's like, she didn't realize that I was the one giving it, it to you all the, the time. Lovers. It was never your lovers. You were never getting those things from the world that you thought you were getting from the world. So we sometimes we get sad or we get down or we get a little a little melancholy and we go and pump up. We, we go grab a thing of Netflix and a bunch of ice cream or whatever and we... We do whatever it is that we do when we get down, and we re-energize, and we're like, oh, Netflix and ice cream, man. Look at what it did for me. <laughs> Solved all my, my corn and oil. And the Lord's sitting back there going, I, I did that. I'm the one that gave you a fresh perspective as you slept, or I'm the one that cheered up your day or, or had that person send you a text that, that actually perked you up. It wasn't Netflix. It wasn't ice cream. It wasn't chocolate. It's not. And, and so this idea that she didn't know I was doing it all along. The other part I love is it says, she shall follow, verse 7, she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better with me now. And and I think there's there's this really interesting experience that I've had with friends and family that have left the church. And without, I mean, without fail, there's not, a, there's not one person that hasn't done this at one point or another to me where they've come up and said, I am, I am so much happier now. I feel so much better now. And and at first I didn't know what to do with that. Like what what do you mean you're happier? How can you be happier? I was taught you would never be happy if you left the church. <laughs> and then I heard somebody say, I, if you leave, I hope you stay gone long enough to experience everything with just your love in this context, with just your lovers. Not just the good times. Not just the fun Sundays where you're out on the boat and you're out doing the but but those moments when you lose your job, or those moments when you lose a kid, or your wife cheats on you in this context, go and experience some of the really dreadful things of life and see what your lovers have to offer. Without mercy. Without, without mercy. help. Yep. And then, and then we'll all say, when we get to those moments, I believe then there will come a time when everyone will say, it was better with me than now. I was better off when I had the Lord in my life, when I was... Even though there were questions, even though there were doubts, even though there were I, I, there were things I didn't understand, it was better then than it is now. Yeah. And and just with that, that you know, one of these these teaching skills is to always focus on the Savior. It's something mm-hmm. that Elder Elder Uchtdorf talked about last summer, just churchwide. That that's one of the neatest parts about Hosea is that while you're teaching, it's almost the the analogy or the parable however you want to look at this is so thin it's so easy to go back and forth between Jesus and Hosea and Jesus and Hosea and Jesus and Hosea and Gomer and us and Gomer and us and Gomer and Israel and and you make all of these connections you're like this is exactly what the Lord does that how is this a merciful thing that he says I'm, I'm going to actually give you some 
difficulties so that you'll know that when you come back to me, I got you. And, and, and that's what I would do if I was teaching this in a, in a Sunday school class or whatever versus, I don't know, really 14 to the end. But you could, you could go through and, and pick out your own words and stuff. But what are some times, in, and I'd have them read it or read it together and just say, what are some times that the Lord has done this for you, that Jesus Christ has done this for you? I will allure her, speak comfortably to her. I will give her vineyards. I will take away the names of Balim out of her mouth. Um, in uh, in 16, it says this. This is, this is my favorite. Yes. This is my favorite verse. Where, where he says, thou shalt no, call, no more call me Ishi, but shall call me, or thou shalt call me Ishi, but thou shalt no more call Bali. Meaning, and you have to look down at the footnotes. He says, you're going to start calling me husband and sweetheart. And my kids always say honey butter when they're yep. talking about me and my wife. That, that this, like, it's going to be the person that you care about, not master. Not just like, yes, sir, or something like this. It's this, there is a connection and a deepness where it's like, thanks, sweetie. Thanks, babe. The Lord is going to be, and this isn't, we're talking about the Lord not romantically, but when we're going to say, like, we're so thankful for a Savior. He's not just the man, Jesus, but he's our Redeemer in those moments. Where it changes. Also not, you know, we talked about at the beginning that this idea that the Old Testament Jehovah is this harsh, demanding, that to me is Bali, right? That's the master. And you can see a little bit maybe of Gomer, of how she, I wonder what Gomer thought as the prophet comes to marry her. And, you know, you think about a woman in that in that day and age, the the opportunity she would have had. I mean, she would have had no oppor- no, no choice but to say yes to him. Like, she, if she's not married, she has no, she, has no, she doesn't have any at present, yeah, yeah. right? And so there's this I have to kind of attitude. And I think sometimes in the gospel we... We grow out of an I have to and into an I get to. Yeah. And that I, that's why I love verse 16. It's this, descri- it's this description of what I see the brethren trying to do with the first strength of youth adjustments. Uh, it's the, it, we want you to get to a point to where you love serving the Lord, mm-hmm. where you have a personal relationship with him. And it's not just a thou shalt and a thou shalt not. Yeah. It's a... Let's, let's, as a relationship, let's talk about this. Let's work this through. And that's coming because of what the Lord did in 6 to 13. Yep. That when you read this and you're like, oh, he's being mean. He's putting up walls and thorns. And and yet you're realizing, but it's changing you. And it's the same, like, we all reach this point at some commandments, right? Commandments are restrictive. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, like, I love commandments. Yeah. I, I'm grateful that God does this for me. And and there's a whole shift here in in their relationship. Yep. And, and that's... That's what I love. So I, one of the things that's – I've, I've always kind of enjoyed the Sabbath day a little bit, but right now while we're building this house, like every spare minute, I leave the institute building, I go to the house. And I'm there – I was there last night till midnight, and I'll be there till midnight or later again tonight. But, man, Sunday morning comes. Sundays are not about I can't anymore for me. Um, I get up, and we go to church. We've got 9 o'clock church. We get up, we go to church. And we come home, and all the things I want to do in the week, like just hang out with my kids and just play. We've got a new litter. Of, we've got a litter of golden doodle puppies that are at home, and I just getting them out and just kind of watching them kind of grow into their personalities at you know almost three weeks old. And and that was what this Sunday was for me. I, in fact, as bedtime rolled around, I told my wife, I'm like, this was the perfect day. I didn't, and I didn't even get a nap, but it was still the perfect day. Um, but I, I know for a fact, if there was not a Sabbath day commandment, if there was not a, 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 a command from the Father to keep the Sabbath day, I would have been at the house. I would have been at the house as soon as church got out. I would have been in my, in my work clothes and out there. It was, we're, we're getting stressed. We're trying to get it finished. And, man, 
I, I'm so grateful for that. And, and that, that is this idea of a shift from Bali to Ishii. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to love that commandment. I love that. And and he just, just some of those words at the end where in, in 19 in chapter 2 here, he says, I'll betroth thee unto me forever. Like, she's already messed up. But yet he's saying like, no, forever you and I are going to be together. And and this is part of it. You're dig- now going to start digging into the covenant aspect of this, which is the beautiful part. And he says, I'll betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment. He's not just discarding everything and in loving kindness and in mercies. So at the beginning, you have this idea where like, nope, no mercy. And he says, no, I'll, I'll be betrothed to thee in mercy and in faithfulness. And thou shalt know the Lord. That because of this, their experiences together, that she's going to see and understand the loving kindness and the mercy and the love from Hosea. And just like we see from the Lord. I, I couldn't help but think when you're reading this, just how heartbreaking this would be for Hosea. Yeah. And... Uh, and, and that's the, you know, um, I, I pulled it up because it's, it's, well, I think I wrote up my scriptures too. Um, Elder, uh, President Iring years ago uh, taught seminary early morning in, uh, in, uh, when, while he was teaching at Stanford. Stanford. And uh, one day he was teaching Hosea and he's reading it. And he said, uh, we weren't two chapters in before everybody knew Hosea's Jesus. And, you know, and he said, we all got it. Um, and he said, but he said, I didn't learn anything else, but I felt something else. And this is what he said. He said, all my life I had heard explanations of covenants as being like a contract, an agreement where one person agrees to do something and the other agrees to do something else in return. This was not a story about a business deal between partners. This was a love story. This was a story of a marriage covenant bound by love, by steadfast love. What I felt then, and it has increased over the years, was, what, was that the Lord, with whom I am blessed to have made covenants, loves me and you with a steadfastness about which I continually marvel and which I want with all my heart to emulate. He said that my I, I changed how I thought about covenants. It wasn't a, a business handshake. It was uh, two people walking side by side saying, like, I'm with you. I, I won't quit on you. I won't give up to you. And and I, I think that is so, so neat. And in chapter 3, verse 3, you, you, you get into this idea of the covenant. That's so, yeah, where he's, he says in, earlier, he says, I, I bought her. And he bought her time. And, and for some people, we're like, oh, that's kind of a weird idea. But he's like, well, if she's out and about looking for money as a prostitute, he said, I bought her. Mm-hmm. So he said, I get your time. And you and I are going to talk about this. And in verse 3, he says, I said unto her, thou shalt abide for me many days. I bought you for lots of days, not just one day. Many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. And thou shalt not be for another man. So I will I also be for thee. And you have this idea, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, I will. And you're like, well, that's covenant language. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's sacrament, right? Mm-hmm. And then the I, Lord I, buying buying us with his blood. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for flagons of wine, you're like, well, yeah, that's exactly what blood is. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing this whole symbolism with the wine and, and the, I mean, sacrament and I just love this this symbolism here of this covenant. And in one of the commentaries that I came across this week, the the price that he pays in verse two is the price of a servant. It's a, it's the price mm-hmm. of a slave. And and you talk about you know that that draws you back to this idea of the Exodus in Egypt. And yeah. um, in in fact, it, later on in Joel, we're gonna the Lord's gonna reference when I brought you out of Egypt. And and this so this is exactly what Hosea is doing, I'm pulling her out of Egypt, and I'm I'm buying you. I brought you out of Egypt, and now they're redeemed. You're mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that there's this promise that 
the Lord won't expect anything from us that he's not willing to do for us in return. Mm-hmm. You'll do this, do this, and will I also be for thee? I will never leave you. And I'm for you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go find another people. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. Ba- and you see this with Israel. The Lord could have abandoned them any time <laughs> and gone and found somebody else. Yep. But instead, He sticks with them. After apostasy, after apostasy, after apostasy, He goes through the work of restoration, restoration, restoration. Yeah. Love that. Um, just, just for me, maybe a parting, parting thought here in Hosea is just. Uh, it, it just relates to that quote and to this, uh, this idea where. The Lord doesn't give up on us, yeah. and and this point of no return, or we think that we've gone so far, he he is really making Hosea think like this is the most difficult thing that a marriage would go through, and I won't give up on you. And I love that that reminder from the Lord that He doesn't give up on us, that He doesn't quit when we've messed up, when we feel like I've gone too far away. That is just not possible with Jesus Christ. There there is no no depth and height that his atonement and his grace can't can't reach for us yeah i think if i if i were teaching this i the way i might end hosea is i would ask or maybe even start this way i would ask and say who in your life have has endured something so difficult that it reminded you of christ we touched on this a little bit but i thought about hosea's parents like what would mom and dad have thought when he's like hey i want you to introduce you to my to gomer i want to introduce you to gomer and and as this gone on i've wondered at what point did they see Jesus in what Hosea was going through? And at what point did they see themselves in Gomer and, and start to appreciate the Savior? I have people in my life who have endured incredibly difficult trials so well that I can't help but think about the Savior and his willingness to go through everything that the Father put in front of him in Gethsemane and on the cross and, and then ultimately into the uh, coming out of the tomb on Sunday. Uh, and, I, and, and like you say... You've got to hit that home. That, that has to be that has to be the point of this story. Love that, Joel. You want to? I, I think we've. I, yeah, I think you've got it. Okay. We can do it quick. Okay. Okay. I'll start. I'll. Okay. So chapter one, the word of the Lord that came unto Joel, uh, the son of Pethuel. Um, chapter one. The whole chapter is all about Israel. You have spent. You spend everything. You, you don't have, you have nothing. I love verse four. Uh, <laughs> that which the palmer worm hath left, the locust has eaten. That which the locust hath left, the canker worm hath eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, the caterpillar hath eaten. Like, when it rains, it pours. Man, you, you have, have nothing, nothing <laughs> left. And, and I just think sometimes, like this to me is describing what, like, as a sinful nation, when we look to the Lord, and that we are just so empty handed. We're like, uh,. I have nothing. <laughs> so I have nothing to bring to the table. And I and and I feel empty. Like we talk about people hitting rock bottom and like you know, you talk about Gomer going after the world and trying to get all of her getting her corn and her wool and everything from the world and there comes a point when you can't find them anymore. And now you have nothing. And this is the situation and, and, and Joel's talking about this. Um he says in verse eight, Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. Uh, nine, the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers mourn. The field is wasted. The corn is wasted. The wine is dried up. Oil languisheth. And then verse 11, be ye ashamed. Because this stuff has all happened because of your choices. You've wasted everything I've given you. I gave you this land. I brought you in here and I made it fertile. It was the promised land. You remember when you showed up and the 12 spies came back? 
and 10 of them were scared, so they were shaking in their boots, and they wouldn't go in because the land was so awesome. And two of them had to carry back one cluster yeah. of grapes uh -huh. because it was so heavy. And you've ruined it because of wickedness. And then he, and he goes on, gird yourselves and lament, howl, come lie at night in sackcloth. And the Lord's just saying, I, this is this is your situation. And I, and it's it's all of our situation. It's 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 every single one of us find ourselves at this point when we kind of come to a, uh, the 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 daunting reality of our mortality and our natural man. And this there comes a point when we're all when we're when everything when we're spent yeah. and we have nothing left. And and for for a teaching idea for this, that that'd probably be what I would start with, like what are the things that worry you or what just feels like it's just piling up in your life? Mm -hmm. And have you ever gotten to those moments where you're just like, I have nothing that those empty handed moments when you're just like, nothing is good has happened to me lately. Mm -hmm. I feel so empty and so beat and stuff. And then we'll look for the help then in the, in the rest of Joel. And, and one of those is in 14 here. He says, sanctify ye a fast, mm -hmm. call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord, your God and cry unto the Lord. He says, fasting, temple, prayer. prayer. When you're and empty, let me fill you. Yes. And this is how we're going to do it. And, and I, I think that just, as you as you hit those other verses, then you kind of go back to 14 and, and give give your class, give your family opportunities to share testimonies and experiences. When? When have you felt filled because of fasting or prayer or temple? Yeah. And those moments when you're just like, yeah, it felt like everything around me, like, the caterpillars and then the locusts and then the canker worms like everybody ate everything that I had and I had nothing left and then I still felt filled I still had something in my little harvest where the Lord came and, and took care of me and and there's there's some of those other verses in in chapter 2 here where um, in in chapter 2 verse 12 he says uh, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments you have this experience and, and stories of all these prophets and people in the Old Testament that something goes bad and they rip their clothes. And it's this moment of like, my life is being ripped. And I, I feel it inside of me. And the Lord's like, quit ripping your clothes and rip your heart. Break it. Break your heart for me and turn unto the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness to fill you up. You'll have these moments when you turn to him. I don't remember which one it was. It was one of the first podcasts we ever did. One of the first ones of these we ever recorded. And... I, 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 I think I forced my kids to sit down and listen to it. It's like, it was early on. We needed views, okay? Don't don't judge me. But And I think I sent them into different rooms to listen to my different devices. You know, we, were, we were desperate, we okay? we got six people to watch this now. <laughs> and, but anyway, my sophomore comes back, and, and you had, you said something that he's he's brought it up a couple of times since then. It's this idea that sometimes the Lord breaks your heart so he can get inside. And and I don't and, and for whatever reason in that moment that that really grabbed my son's attention and and that is you see the Lord doing that early on in chapter one let me point out where you're at then he gives this great promise in fourteen and then after saying be ashamed I love verse two when he says verse starting in verse eighteen then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people there's going to come a point so this is all preceding the second coming. There's going to come a point when everything's going to get so crazy. The Lord said, in other places it talks about, for the elect's sake, he'll, speak, he'll hasten the day. But he says, I'll, I'll, pit, I'll be jealous for my land. It's time for me to get the promised land back. Mm -hmm. And I want my covenant people there. Yeah. 
um, I will send you corn, wine, and oil. All of a sudden, here's a drawback to Hosea. Hosea yeah. Right? Verse These 20. People. Yeah. I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into the land of barren and desolate. I will protect you militarily. And then verse 20. I love 21 through 23. Fear not. Be not afraid. Be glad. As we approach the second coming of the Lord, that's our. those are kind of our marching orders. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And be happy. And I think when I think of those phrases... I think of, I think of President Hinckley. I do too. Um, and then finally, in verse 26, he, verse chapter one, he said, "Be ashamed." At the end of verse 26, my people shall never be ashamed again. I added day again, <laughs> but I think that's what he means. My people shall never be ashamed. And then he says it again in 27, my people shall never be ashamed. Yeah. I uh, just you mentioned President Hinckley. I think that's cool that you did because I have a quote pulled up from him. Oh, okay. So, Fire. And, uh, October 2001, one, less than a month after Not September 11. 11, right? Um, President Hinckley quotes these scriptures. Yes. You remember that, right? Mm-hmm. I and, do. At the end of chapter 2, and uh, specifically about the, um, this is chapter 2, verse 30, I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And it, it was a very visual mm-hmm. moment. Um, and uh, it, I, I would... It's one of those moments, you know, 9-11 is just, you remember where you were. You remember what you were yep. doing. It's one of those, your earth and life changed at, at that moment. And um, anyways, before that, in verse 28, he talks about how the Lord will pour out his spirit upon all people. That you have this, the day of the Lord, a lot of times in Joel, he's just like, it's rough, it's rough, it's dark, it's terrible, it's gloomy. And then he says, but the spirit's going to be on everyone. And then he says, you're, you're gonna, it's going to be terrible. And he says, but whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. That's in 32. I went back and read one of those talks, two of them actually from, from October 2001 conference from President Hinckley. And that was the conference he prayed. Uh-huh. Remember that? He I just, do. He prayed and we still have the closing prayer. But uh, his quote says this. Um, this is his Sunday morning one. Our safety lies in repentance. Our strength comes of obedience to the commandments of God. Let us be prayerful. Let us pray for righteousness. Let us pray for the forces of good. Let us reach out to help men and women of goodwill, whatever their religious persuasion and wherever they live. Let us stand firm against evil, both at home and abroad. Let us live worthy of the blessings of heaven, reforming our lives where necessary and looking to him, the father of us all. He has said, be still and know that I am God. Are these perilous times? They are, but there is no need to fear. We have peace in our heart. We can have peace in our hearts and peace in our homes. We can be an influence for good in this world, every one of us. May the God of heaven, the Almighty, bless us, help us as we walk in our various ways in the, of the uncertain days that lie ahead. May we look to him with unfailing faith. May we worthily place our reliance on his beloved son, who is our great redeemer, whether it be in life or in death, is my prayer. And I just, you just see the optimism. You see the optimism of, yeah, I know the world is worrisome and the day of the Lord terrifies some people, but it's not for you. Mm-hmm. Because you know who you're attached to. You know that covenant. You know that love story between you and the Lord that he's got you. God, that's a great, that's a great place to end. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. Well, um, next week we hit Amos. I think Amos. And we do can't one other. Who else is then there? Obadiah. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember. We'll figure it out before then, though. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us. If uh, if there's anything that you've enjoyed or if uh, you have somebody that could use this, pass it along. Um, and we'll see you in the next. We'll see you next week.
Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and in our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode. <laughs>